You're listening to the Nonprofit Problem Solver Podcast brought to you by KevKayat.com. Kev helps nonprofit leaders deliver more impact faster and easier so they can be mission accomplished in 40 hours a week or less. For more information, visit KevKayat.com. Now, here is the host of Nonprofit Problem Solver, Kev Kayat. Hey, Kev Kayat here. Welcome to Nonprofit Problem Solver. Thanks for tuning in. You are actually the Nonprofit Problem Solver. My job is to bring you practical, tactical expertise that you can use right now or in about an hour. You're about to hear the recording of me chatting one-to-one with an expert. You're more than welcome to join the next live call just zip on over to nonprofitproblemsolver.com to register. Today on Nonprofit Problem Solver, we're up to episode four in our summer series of one-to-one conversations. I'm thrilled to be speaking with Jean Bell, who's well known as a contributor to Nonprofit Quarterly and has a wide range of deep expertise in nonprofit organizational development. Our topic today is an important one, especially if you're a nonprofit leader trying to initiate meaningful next steps around race equity. We're exploring the board staff disconnect on race equity and trying to get as practical as possible about moving from words to action. Okay, hello everyone. Welcome to Nonprofit Problem Solver. This is uh, episode four of our summer series where we're going in depth with individual guests rather than the panel we uh, enjoyed in season one. And today I'm thrilled to be joined by Jean Bell from Nonprofit Quarterly. Uh, And we'll be talking about the disconnect between board and staff in terms of race equity. Uh, Just before we get started, just to remind people that uh, you're uh, actively invited to uh, put questions or comments in the chat, and I will try to uh, bring those into bear into our conversation as we go. So don't be shy in the chat at at all. You're happy to talk amongst yourselves if that becomes uh, (laughs) uh, useful. Uh, So uh, good morning, good afternoon, Jean. (laughs) We're at different parts, different sides of the country. Yeah, good to see you. I'm well, thank you. Thanks for joining me. Um, I've been really looking forward to this topic because uh, as we know, taking the next steps after lots of board statements and pronouncements that we've seen over the last few weeks. Uh, What's next? And we know that uh, we have a high stakes election season coming up and people trying to decide what's going to happen with schools, lots and lots of distractions to take us off course with these great intentions that we uh, were looking at uh, really just only a few weeks ago. Where are we now, you think, in looking at the sector overall? Yeah, I mean, I I was so pleased to uh, see you frame the topic this way because I don't don't have an organization that I work with, and I should be clear that I'm a consultant to NPQ, so I also carry a practice in other areas, Um, and I'm a former executive director, so I've worked with really countless board members and boards through consulting and my own executive leadership, and now in um, kind of curating management and leadership content at NPQ as a contractor. Um, All that to say, I don't know an organization that isn't trying to put all these pieces together and trying to do it in the context of COVID is just an extra special, (laughs) you know, the the confluence of COVID and the most powerful civil rights protests that we've seen in 50 years or so in terms of scale and multiracial dynamics, et cetera, is just kind of unbelievable, right? (laughs) That, That nonprofit organizations are making sense of those two things and that those two things are affecting one another. In fact, the activists tell us, um, you know, is just kind of beyond our imagination. But all that to say, I think it has accelerated the conversation and has made it unavoidable. And to the topic, I think that we're heading towards today, it's meant that boards and staffs have had to figure out where are we collectively when there really isn't often much of a collective between board and staff? Yeah, that, I think that's right. And I think the, the other way that we're finding uh, both, both COVID and the question around racial equity brought to bear is in uh, the communities that we serve. 
you know, that's, it, you know, both the, the staff and our ability to bring staff to, to work or not. Uh, and those that rely tremendously on volunteers have had to work out lots and lots of practical problems. And then, of course, we're trying to serve vulnerable communities that are themselves subject to these issues. So there's, a, there's this confluence of lots and lots of things swirling around. What yes. um, we try to do on, on, on nonprofit problem solver is is focus on the practical and tactical because uh, you know what we're like we, we can we can appreciate and and, and admire a problem uh, for hours and hours and hours but uh, we try and try and pull out some practical things if you're a you know board chair or an ED trying to grapple with this uh, what do you what would you say is the main or or types of the main types of disconnect between board and staff. What are those? Uh, the, what are those lines or those 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 barriers? Thank you. Well, and I really, again, I really appreciate your framing because I, I think the word disconnect is is really useful. So I, I want to use it. It's not just a quick title. I want to use it. I think it, it's felt, <laughs> it's experienced, um, it's what, as I said, every organization I'm working with, from arts to housing to intermediaries, is feeling to some degree. And the disconnect, I think there are a number of vectors we can you know, explore, Kev, but I wanna start with one that is about power. Because power, um, and my NPQ colleague, some of you may know, has a book called The Power Manual, and she writes a lot about power, Cindy Suarez, so I continue to learn from her. But what is unspoken so much in the staff board dynamic is the role of their respective power spheres, right? And I think what's happening, I'll just start here, Kev. I think what's happening is that boards, some, I'm just going to make generalizations here. We can explore degrees of truth in different mm-hmm. contexts. But staff are grappling with racial equity, both internal and external to the organization on a daily basis. Boards are now being called to act. Let's write a statement. Let's have a training. Let's have a full board staff retreat to figure out what this means. And they often step into sort of a, a power vacuum and, a mis- and, and feel that they have to exercise power. And when they're trying to exercise power around a topic like racial equity that for the staff may be much more integrated into their daily leadership, a lot of conflict ensues. Um, And I think what it really gets to is, as I said a minute ago, we're not a we. We are not, in almost all organizations, the board and staff are not a we. They're not Mm -hmm. a collective. They don't have built trust. They don't have shared racial justice analysis. They haven't had these conversations. And now this moment is calling that board to act with some power on behalf of the organization. And staff are like, what in the world? Why would I have, (laughs) you know, frankly, these people write our statement or lead us in racial justice when we've never had the conversation together. Now, I want to be clear. Obviously, there are exceptions to what I'm saying, but but where there are disconnects, I think a lot of it is about who's trying to step into power on a topic that has not been collectively uh, discussed. Well, it's fascinating you mentioned power because uh, one of the things I I can see is a disconnect between board and staff and you're talking about you know the power within that organization to move forward and and address what the next steps are but one of the lines that 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 struck me as a disconnect was what the objective of working towards equity even means it would mean something different to the board than it might mean to staff uh, particularly those staff who are actively at the front lines of services and that the 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 reason I wanted to draw on on the the word power is because that's what equity really is about. <laughs> it exactly. is about power. So there's you know there's a number of different power dynamics at play. Yeah, no, there absolutely are, and they are com- almost always completely unnamed. So when we talk about practical steps, you know, we we try to jump into actions like writing statements or you know agreeing on you know, taking a racial justice lens to our upcoming hiring process, our upcoming strategic plan, our upcoming budget, because those things are emerging right now in this context, and we sort of agree we should do that. And we need to back up. You know, most organizations need to back up from that and have a joint board staff conversation, whatever that might look like, given their scale and structure and geography. But it's inauthentic to do the work 
to start doing activities without having located our collective we on where are we. And I think a lot of times staff really react to that. They react to the inauthenticity of that. So that's um, interesting because, mm -hmm. so, so let me just let's pull that out and make sure that I, just paraphrase a little bit and tell me if I've got it wrong. Right. Um, the idea that uh, to move forward authentically, we do need to build that we between the board and staff. And, and let's assume there's a disconnect and, and simplify a little bit and say one group sort of homogeneously is ahead of the other, which means they have to slow down and, and work together to bring the other uh, together to create that we to a certain extent? Well, that's one option. First, we have to acknowledge the chasm. So I think in your, in your summary, I think the first thing we have to do is come together, probably with strong facilitation, and I'll just note that this is a challenge right now. The mm -hmm. consultants who are really good at this and trained in it are you know, have demands on them through five years from now. So, right. I mean, there's a real challenge in terms of this enormous need for skilled facilitation of these conversations. So that's another conversation we could have. Who's going to facilitate this conversation? But anyway, it has to happen. And to me, an outcome is acknowledging the distance between staff and board. And this gets back to power, Kev, because if there's a distance and the staff is more informed, has done more work, knows more about how racial equity is manifesting in the work and client base and networks of the organization, it simply has to lead because we can't put it on hold. So what we have to do together is say, as an, we are going to govern, governance is a process, not a person. The governance that's required right now of any nonprofit organization or philanthropy is to locate itself on its journey to racial justice and figure out what is or its appropriate next actions and whoever is best suited to you know kind of get in front and help shape that in my view should be the ones doing that if they're on staff they're on staff if they're on board they're on board but it's in service of governing the organization at a time where we cannot wait two years to figure out who we are where we are in the ecosystem and what our role is right now and and, and in practice uh both those groups board and staff are not homogenous lumps where everybody agrees. Of course, <laughs> you know, there's right. lots of, there's lots and lots of overlap. Right. So what if uh, we the just larger the staff simple... group, the more likely you have to bring different parts of the staff group along too. Right. I mean, Kev, what if we did a very simple thing as a staff and board? And if you're a very large organization, maybe it's, you know, a certain level of staff. Again, I know size can, can dictate sort of the, the, the process of this, but what if we did a very simple assessment process and said, let's identify the people across our staff and board who are already leading on racial justice in the organization and in their lives. This is not a hard assessment. No. <laughs> this is not a hard assessment at all. Here's what we mean by leading. They've done work, they've led work, they've, you know, blah, 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 blah. And we find our leaders on this topic. It's not even a topic, you know, I mean, we find our leaders and then we design a process that helps us, again, locate the organization on this journey and figure out its next actions. But to, for the staff to feel like the board is going to go off and figure this out is just an affront frankly it's an affront yeah. to the staff yeah yeah i i i think that that's a that's unlikely to um to result in 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 much progress uh at all but but like you said it's it's not it's not good enough either to uh, to get your laundry list of let's you know use this sort of lens, let's put on some DEI training, let's uh, yeah. review our hiring practices or so on. That none of those is really much different to what we've always been doing all along anyway. No, and one of the problems that I'm feeling and noticing, and at times being called in on, is the. Um, the cover that those processes provide for us, especially those of us who have mastered those master's tools, right? And so if you feel, you know, especially the white folks on the call who are in positions of positional leadership, we can feel ourselves, we can learn to catch ourselves falling into that trap of saying, well, I'll just change the budget. I'll just change the interview questions. I'll just change the website. I'll just, you know, and those things may indeed need to be changed, but there's work associated with that, you know, before and simultaneous to those actions. Right. And, and, and it's, and I think the, the role of, of white people is, is, is a question. And obviously you and I are both 
widened and played in leadership roles in, in organizations. And we've been talking about power. Uh, and what's interesting about the whole question of race, and I, and I think this is pretty common among white people who've worked in, you know, particularly human service nonprofits in, uh, in, in deprived communities, is that the, the stakes are, are very high around power when we're talking about uh, moving forward or trying to address things. But even the conversations, the stakes about saying the wrong thing or being perceived uh, to not be uh, fully trained or fully up to date with things um, has has made, I think, makes the whole learning process much more difficult because the stakes of being wrong as though it's, you know, you're, it's, 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 if it's a binary sort of paralyzes action when in fact we've got to be much more willing to, uh, to allow ourselves or recognize that we make mistakes. We've, you know, we have to have that vulnerability to learn and grow. Yeah. And of course the, the, the people who have studied this and people of color for centuries <laughs> That is, in fact, a common expression of whiteness. That's the irony of this, right? <laughs> that perfectionism, that need to be right, that, that um, unwillingness to acknowledge failure, um, you know, that's all part of what we're, in fact, dismantling. <laughs> right. So it, it's in the very process of how I respond to this work. But I want to make a second point, which is that that fear, let's just call it fear for shorthand, right? Fear mm -hmm. of failure, no, I think fear that's a good word embarrassment. For it. What's that? I think that's the right word for it. Yeah, fear, which of course leads to shame and, you know, all those unproductive uh, things. What it, what's pertinent also for this conversation is that boards as a collective tend to be cautious. They tend to be more cautious than the most brave individuals on them. This is a dynamic I have watched and lived for 25 years. You bring someone onto the board who you know is courageous who you know is on the journey, and then the board, <laughs> this space, <laughs> this risk-averse space starts <laughs> playing its you know, game on people. And, and, and we do this because, I don't know why, because we think, now I'm in charge, I have to protect this organization. If the organization makes a mistake or stumbles, you know, I'm responsible. And that's really one of the things we're up against here, Kev, is that risk intolerance, that fear of failure of the board collective, I think is playing itself out exactly to your point. So it's not just individual white people who are scared to screw up. It's boards that exude whiteness. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the whole, the whole brand associated with them. I and we've, we've got a lot, a lot of commentary recently about, you know, cancel culture or whatever you want to call it in this, you know, make one mistake and, you know, and it's, and it's can be catastrophic. And I think that, that, that again, just makes the whole learning process that we need to uh, appreciate and uh, invest in that much more difficult. Yeah, I mean, I don't, you know, J.K. Rowling didn't make one mistake. She makes it every time she turns on her Twitter, you know. So, I mean, again, it's it, it's not a mistake, right? <laughs> we, you, you're, you're not being canceled. You're being called out. And those are two right, different right, things. Right, right, right. Yeah. yeah, no, no, okay. I agree with you. I'm just saying that there's that, that to, to, to point about the fear of yeah. people, you know, tr that, you know like I, if I get it wrong once, I'm done with, you know. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the career, and again, we're just, it's a lot of it to do with power and the stakes associated with losing it. Uh, but in fact, if That's we right. really are clear about what the objectives of equity are, there is a redistribution of power, which by definition means people are either losing or giving. <laughs> you know, it's it's well, you know one way or another. You know? Moreover, and this is another extension of this fear of failure, is that when we have this conversation, boards have to acknowledge that they didn't do the work. They're behind. So there's there's this fear of an indictment of the past that we've been an organization that wasn't out in front on this, that we didn't move quickly enough, that our board chair didn't understand that this is what we should have been talking about since Ferguson, if not before, but here we are again, right? All that fear of having to acknowledge that we were not focused in the right areas or sufficiently in this area, that's all part of the work that we, those of us who, yes, indeed, we were not focused on the right things. I mean, what are you going to do? You know, I mean, it's like, yes, we acknowledge that. And now we begin the work or we pick up the work wherever we are on the path. Yeah, I want, I want to draw another uh, distinction uh, just in your sort of casting your 
um, I across the nonprofit sector. Obviously, there's uh, lots of different sections. We've got the you know foundations, which are themselves nonprofits uh, with with staff and boards. Uh, grant making to other organizations who provide services in a wide range of different uh, sectors. Is, is anybody uh, or is any sector, are there, are there major differences that you see in, in any way of chopping this up, large organizations versus smaller organizations? You know, any, any um, right. differential or variability across the sector that is useful to pull out here? You know what this question is making me think of is is the commentary um, from people of all identities about, you know, this question is, is this different? You know, this sort of annoying question is, is this, is this different? But people say what's different is the multiracial, you know, aspect of the protests, right? And there's, I think there's a corollary here, which is that there are no missions that are exempt this time. <laughs> Um, you're seeing, yeah. organ, you know, people can't say to your earlier point, well, we're not an advocacy organization. I used to hear that all the time. We all did, right? Well, we're not an advocacy <laughs> as if that's, right. that's the only We just provide services. To, yeah. yeah, to deal with <laughs> racial justice. And so, you know, that, that advocacy versus service uh, trope that has plagued our sector, which has enabled, quote, neutrality amongst service providers, it's just not going to hold, right? I mean, this ship's not going to hold. So everybody, arts organizations are having to do this. Obviously, the environmental movement has long been accused of not doing this work and is now really having to, you know, catch up, especially white-led. Of course, there are lots of environmental organizations that were born with this analysis, but I mean, the, the traditional sort of, you know, uh, conservation environmental movement has struggled to adapt right so mm -hmm. th there are no missions that are exempt right yeah i think i think that's that's a vital point and i'd like to emphasize that there are no missions that are exempt from this question around race which is i think probably the first time that that as a sector we're able to really acknowledge that i mean there's no there's no place to hide and say this doesn't apply to us and let me quickly call in also the, it, a part of the sector that I'm, you know, connected to and invested in, which is those that represent the sector, you know, the intermediaries, the uh, state associations, the, you know, independent sector and National Council of Nonprofits and Nonprofit Quarterly, where I contribute and all of these intermediaries that that sort of uh, play voice giver for the sector. You know, we can't just be talking about you know, uh, tax deductions anymore. <laughs> you know, we, we really, really need to be talking about the role of our sector, let's be frank, in propping up and softening unfettered capitalism. <laughs> let's just say it, right? I mean, you know, we have a lot of work to do if we're going to be part of these conversations in a legitimate way. And where are our intermediaries? Where are our leading organizations whether they're movement-based or sector-wide, saying, "Whoa, we gotta, we gotta do our work too." It's not just holding workshops for our members. We gotta do the work as intermediaries and platforms. Right. So, so no matter how you chop up the sector or divide it or segment it, it it, it doesn't matter. We all have certain work to do. So, I think I think that's a that's a that's a pretty fundamental point. Um, the, the the other thing is just before we came on, you and I were were um, chatting briefly, and you mentioned that the 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 one part of our sector which uh, really is different to others in this regard are those uh, that were created from you know are birthed by this notion of racial justice as their as their mission or as their founding principle. Can you talk to to that a bit? Yeah, and I'm certainly not, of course, an expert um, in that, but I want to make that distinction. I think that, and I also know, and I say this with empathy and from other consultants of color who I know who have worked in, in, in those organizations, that they have their own struggles, you know, and part of their struggle, as I understand it, and some have written about this in, in MPQ and other places, is we have an analysis of how the nonprofit sector and philanthropy collude but we have we have to do the work of reinventing what well so what do we replace some of those problematic frameworks with even as we draw resources <laughs> and hire eds and you know all the things that get us right in the game right so i know from talking to leaders of color that you know and white allies for sure that 
there's still a challenge. Even if you were born, if the organization was born with um, a theory of change that centers racial justice, you still have to generate resources and figure out if you're going to compensate people at market rate and figure out if you're going to, which systems, you know, again, which master's tools are you going to employ? And if we're going to recreate those well, it takes a lot of time to recreate those. Are we going to get paid to recreate those? <laughs> we have to also do our work. So, you know, I don't. I think that there's a whole other body of work going on in those organizations, which is what do we want to look like and be like as organizations? Period. Yeah, um, but do you think um, do you think that there's there are models there for the rest of the sector to learn from? I mean, in other words, are we do we all need to um, to to incorporate that notion of uh, racial justice as a as a fundamental part of our mission, or is there another way of 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 addressing it and adopting some of those practices? In other words, what a great that's a great question. You know, I mean, like, so does a is a board saying, look, we're not doing this seriously unless it's unless it's you know called out in what we're in what we're doing. Now, obviously, you and I could imagine and predict that. If that's the recommendation, how much time and energy is going to be spent on wordsmithing rather than doing any real work? Well, yeah, I mean, <laughs> please. Here's what we can rule out. Don't rewrite your mission statement. That's not your racial justice response right now. Right, um, right. But, but, but your point, I think, is really important, which is, um, and it can go lots of places, because one of the things that I think a board does legitimately have some say in, I, I don't think there's really anything, I'll just put it out there, that a board has exclusive say in. You know, and, and, and frankly, the writing about governance, even by white mainstream celebrated, you know, capacity builders, whatever that means, you know, has always said that governance is a process, you mm-hmm. know, that and if you're talking about things like forming and evolving organizational identity or developing programmatic vision, these have never been the exclusive purview of the board. Right. So part of this is just getting back to let's get honest about how organizations figure out who they are, which is what your question is. The organizations figure out who they are in lots of ways. It's not just a board conversation by any means. It's just not, right? Oh, go ahead. No, I just wanted to say that, so if we have to figure out the extent to which racial, we can do two things, I think. One is we have to learn. I want to lift up the two-part webinar that, Robin Stacia and Vernetta Walker did for NPQ. It's free. It's on our YouTube channel. Um, they, I thought they talked really well about the learning process, which mm-hmm. takes time. The board has to learn. You can't change your mission statement until you start to really learn the connection between racial justice and your mission. And, and so there's a learning process. And obviously the staff has to learn, too. Um, and so I think there's this there's a legitimate question about as we learn when can we authentically shift our public stance? Because I think that's really at your question. And I felt this a lot as an executive director of a mainstream organization trying to center racial justice. We're doing our work. We're doing our work. When can I legitimately, authentically say, you know what? We are over here now. Can I Mm -hmm. change our website? Can I, um, you know, change our uh, job announcements to, you know, can I start to do things that seem like, whoa, who are you saying that to the world that knew us another way, right? These are, these are legitimate questions and, and they have to be uh, paced. And, and that's a really legitimate governance question. It shouldn't be only answered by the board, of course, but it, it is a very legitimate governance question for organizations that are going to evolve on purpose here. Right. And, and it's interesting about, you know, this pace because, so when we do pay, when we combine the pace and learning, we have a sense of urgency, uh, you know, right. ad- admitting, you know, notwithstanding all the other things going on that 2020 is throwing at us, we have a sense of urgency. And yet, um, uh, the, this notion of paralysis of we've got to get it right, we can't put a foot wrong here. And, and I guess my sort of plea has been like, guys, we're never going to get it exactly right all the time. And if we try to, we're, we're, we're not going to do anything at all. You know, we need to we need to be prepared to make mistakes, and I think that's something around the question of race that it's been very different. It's not in terms of um, the way those of us trying to, as you said, center racial uh, equity and racial justice have have found difficult in the past because there's an expectation that it's 
um, it's always binarily right or wrong. You know, it's yeah. either up to date or you're behind the times or whatever. And obviously people don't want to see that they are wrong or be labeled as such. Well, again, you say obviously because that's our culture, but we're going to have to let that go because <laughs> right. you are going to be wrong, <laughs> right. you know, and and it's hard, right? It's hard. Our, our identities as people and organizations are so deeply, for many people, tied up in these narratives of our expertise, our position, our history, our, you know, I mean, yes, that is all being in, called into question. And, you know, part of it is... Um, I've, I've been fascinated. That's not the right word. I've been uh, watching closely this discussion of Robin DeAngelo's work that some of you may have been seeing of many people still really lifting up the white fragility notion as useful here. You know, white folks, do your work. Get your people, go over there and figure out these habits and practices you have and get to work. And other people starting to say, well, why weren't you reading people of color talking about whiteness, you know, in, you know, for hundreds of years, why did you, you know, there's, there's, there's going to be a lot of um, real time challenges to our frames. This is not going to be, oh, we decided to do this and we're going to do it right. <laughs> it's just not going to be that. Right, right. And it's not Things it's, that you think right. are right. You're going to find out three months later, actually, that's no longer really the thing that people are feeling like is getting at it, you know. Yeah. And I think what we, I mean, if we take that step back that you, you said at the very outset and understand what it's like for any type of change, it's never neat, clean, easy, tidy, simple. You know, it's, it's hard work in, in a lot of cases. It can be challenging. Um, but I think particularly around racial justice um, and, and equity, the urgency, the, the sense is, is something around real action like what does it actually mean is in is equity a, a you know destination or is it is it a right. verb is it is you know is this a, is it means action towards something um and and you know yeah, what, I, how do we how do we start to take those first steps in in a way which um we don't paralyze ourselves but by trying to trying to get it right before we take that first step yeah well, I mean, one of the things, and this goes back to power, that we can start with, right, and I'm sure some people listening in have done this, is ask the black people on your staff, <laughs> if there are any, you know. I mean, ask ask the people in your system. Instead of saying the board's going to set up a task force or the staff is going to, you know, ask the actual people as human beings who are experiencing that racism in your own system, let alone what we need to do out in the world. What are we doing? What are our blind spots? Let I me mean, let's just start having the conversation, you know, yeah. um, and it is. A, is it uncomfortable for those people who have been in power or who have contributed to maintaining those practices? Of course it is, you know, but this is the work and it's so uncomfortable not to be doing it, isn't it? What's the alternative? <laughs> you know? It's not working not to do it. Right. I mean, and, you know, you, it's going to be difficult to sort of argue for uh, the, the status quo, isn't it? Um, yes, it is. Is 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 there a way of um, separating race equity from other forms of equity that we that we also see as in important? I know we we've been talking a lot recently about specifically the black community, but there are um, other um, ethnic groups or racial groups that we want to consider in terms of uh, the Latina population. Uh, we want to understand what gender equality looks like, um, uh, sexual identity, and so on. How do those those so 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 often overlap? Um, and do we is this something that we we address in in one go together, or how do we how do we approach that? Uh, whether from a board or a staffing perspective. Yeah, and again, I want to acknowledge my own identity, and I'm sure there are people listening uh, who can answer that question with far more lived experience from a consulting standpoint or what have you. That said, I'll share my lived experience of it. Um, that is going. To, that is really going to be a question, and you know, of course, there's the frame, which is that, you know, when Black women are free, we're probably all going to be free. <laughs> you know, I mean, there's there there's that there isn't a need to solve problems group by group, <laughs> you know, in, in there's one frame that's like that, which is that, you know, 
black liberation is liberation <laughs> and we can, you know, it ha everybody has their own, obviously, you know, trajectories and experiences. But if we, if we do that work, we're, we're likely to all be a lot freer, right? I mean, there's that frame. Um, and then there's the real though, since we're talking about organizations, there's the real life of the interpersonal feelings people have about their identities and which identities are being discussed and, and so on. Um, so I don't have a, a clean answer to it other than to say that frame or that reality needs to be named. Um, I know when I was last part of an organization, we did um, racial affinity groups. Um, I found that to be extremely powerful as a white person. It was the first time I'd ever been in a space dedicated to talking about whiteness by, you know, to say the least, <laughs> you know, I mean, you grow up a, a white liberal, you talk about how terrible racism, you don't talk about whiteness, <laughs> never heard of it, uh, as absurd as that sounds. Um, so there are tactics, and that's why I would leave it to people who will comment on the, you know, there are techniques for giving people space to explore their own identity and how what we're talking about in the racial discourse is affecting them, honestly, through the lens of their identities that can happen simultaneous to acknowledging anti-blackness in this country and that that is a lot of what we're talking about in this moment and we need to be. And it sounds, it sounds like what we're, what we're talking about is you know, is, is, the, is the process, so the process of learning, the process of moving forward. It's not going to be overnight, but we shouldn't wait. As you know, it's because we, we want to maintain uh, at least some sense of, of, of urgency. But I, I, I think one of the disconnects that we, I think, started with was this idea of uh, staff on the one hand and, and the board on the other not aligned about what the objective of, of, of racial justice or equity, I mean, what does it actually look like? And because we've not lived in that situation, I mean, none of us really knows for certain what it, what it actually looks like. And, and I'm wondering to, to draw your analogy around governance and identity as not states or destinations, but processes as dynamic, living, moving things. Uh, and, and, and how can we think of equity in that way? What does that actually mean? How can that that's, help us? That's so right. I mean, I, I, at least, and again, I, I say it's so right because of everything I've been taught, you know, in the last decade. But in a certain way, of course, that's true, right? I mean, we're talking about humanity. We're talking about just unlearning, which takes a lifetime, you know, for those of us who learned uh, supremacy for those of us who learned internalized oppression for those of us who you know whatever we learned it takes a lifetime to unlearn it we don't wait till all the unlearning's done to start the new good stuff right, right. i mean there's right. the unlearning process there's the learning process uh, and then there's the doing and i and the process you know and they all have to be identified but i agree with you that perhaps the most radical thing a group could do right now. Again, I think especially a group that needs to figure out where it is on this journey is examine their processes and figure out the extent to which those are maintaining the status quo and not allowing the energy and the wisdom from those who can lead on this issue to come through. Even if we just examined our processes, how do we design a board meeting? How do we do a hiring? You could do that. Um, to say, we want to be having these conversations, and we know that the way we do things right now doesn't allow for those conversations. In fact, it pretty much actively stops them in their tracks. Right, right. And, and, and you know, there's a, some sort of organizational pressure to do that, saying, well, we can't, we can't solve all the world's pro problems outside, we can, we, but we have to look after our own house. And our own house, in, in many regards, people perceive as our processes, our structures, this is how we, our culture, how we behave. And so they want to review some of those practices, but it can um, eliminate or ob ob obstruct the very real conversations that, that we need to have. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, there's also, as we know, a whole conversation about who um, is called on to lead this work. So I want to be conscious of the fact I said, let's assess who is already leading in their lives on this work, that does not mean they necessarily want to lead you, 
<laughs> right, know? right. I mean, they, they, they may be really tired of trying to lead you, you know, meaning you, us, Indeed, you know. So right. there's still a, a question about that assessment. And I don't mean a document. I mean that where are we? You well, know, think, where are we as an organization? Are our people of color, are, I mean, quite frankly, are they exhausted? Are they pissed? Have they been trying for five years and now all of a sudden there's an opening? What is true? Let's ask them. <laughs> what is true? Uh, what facilitation do we need? You know, these are just questions to your point. There isn't a right answer, but let's locate and figure out if that's where we are, that's the harm that's been done, that's what's been ignored, that's what we've tried and never picked up again. You know, let's just get it up on the board. Where are we? Yeah, and I, I think I think that also applies to uh, how leaders, whether the executive team or the board, understand their role in in the process. So you said, like, whose voices are we centering? When when do we step forward? When do we step back? How how do we manage that? And most leaders are accustomed to always leading. <laughs> you know, that's the mm. job. So I'm always mm-hmm. leading from the front. If I don't, then I'm doing something wrong. Um, and, and, and actually we're, we're probably talking about something different because we have a lot of situations where, you know, the leadership is two ways, way too white. Uh, and, and, and if we, if we want to address that, then white leaders need to know when it makes sense to lead from the front or from the back or step back, step forward and how we center other sorts of voices. Yeah, there's no doubt. I mean, and, and again, we go back to for a lot of white women in this sector, this has been their identity, their founders, their movement leaders, their of other movements. They, um, I'm just being honest, you know, this is why I see this everywhere. Their entire reward system is based on leading from the front. Yeah. And, you know, by the way, that's problematic in a lot of ways, including racial justice. <laughs> so, you know, that that sort of um, white knuckling, literally, um, is is a huge part of what's slowing this down. It just is. Right. And I, I have a feeling that as we get into this work, let's be optimistic and feel that this work starts to progress and people are vulnerable and, and try and find the truth in the way that you described. There's, we're going to uncover a lot of other messiness that we have suppressed for a long time or have not acknowledged. Maybe we haven't named it in the in the right ways, which... Um, can can complicate things and 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 perhaps slow things down or intimidate people. Um, and there's always the risk again in 2020 with everything that's flying around in 2020 that we're too slow about it or that we resist or that somebody you know there's there's um, uh, pressure uh, against uh, progress. And so the other dynamic of power here is around accountability. Mm. who's holding whom accountable? Mm-hmm. <laughs> How has that happened? You know, and again, in terms of they talk about a board staff disconnect. <laughs> can, you, can you speak to that about accountability? And also just, in, you know, in your practice and in your experience, are there models or analogs from other sort of social change processes that may help us work through some of these power dynamics or, or accountability in particular? Mm-hmm. Well, it's a great question for us to think about accountability. And, you know, I think there's an irony when boards, as we started with, step into that power vacuum and say, whoa, we're supposed to be fixing this. We, you know, we're, we're, we need to get on in front of this racial justice thing. You know, I mean, seriously, right? That's what's, that's what's going on in some foundation boardrooms and, and, and nonprofit boardrooms, let's be honest. Yeah. When they do that, they actually set themselves up to fail, right? They create, they put the accountability squarely on their their own shoulders when they're not really fit to carry it alone, right? And that's kind of the irony. So then this dynamic gets set up where the staff's watching going, all right, what are you going to do? But it seems like you've just described, you know, in many real ways why even the best intentioned uh, initiatives in the past have done very little very little impact, and in many cases, just reinforced the very same white supremacy. Yeah, you know, unwittingly. I mean, you're gonna fail. You know, I mean, if you're a board going off by itself, that was not recruited for its or have any shared as a group 
conversation or analysis, you're probably going to fail if you're if you're taking the sole accountability for where the organization needs to go in terms of racial justice. You're setting yourself up to fail, you know. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think the accountability it takes leadership again, not individual only certain individuals, but it takes leadership for a group. And here I do think the executive director, the board chair. Of course, we look to positional leaders to help us do this process to use your word but not to be the only ones you know leading from the front but to say we are going to do this and we're going to let this conversation take us where it needs to take us and we're going to provide enough structure and enough safety and enough support so that our people can move through this process we're not trying to predict the ending we're not trying to over engineer but we are taking accountability for the fact that it needs to happen and and tactically though is, is that is that a useful entry point for just about any organization where, you know, as you described it, we're saying we have to share this, this, this movement forward. We all have work to do, but we have to share how we're going to do it without, um, without fixing the, the, the accountability and the power in, in, in the way that it's traditionally been allocated or, or, or held with with the leadership. In other words, it's going to be shared in a different yeah. sort of way. So if we, right. so I guess, sorry, I've just sort of stumbled over my words there. What I'm trying to say is that, is there a way of addressing uh, equity through action that shares that leadership and accountability rather than holding it tight amongst the leadership as it traditionally has done? And is that itself a model for what equity really looks like when power is actually more distributed? Yes. And I, I think when you asked what other sort of disciplines can this draw from, I think <clears throat> the work that's been done around shared leadership, around flatter organizational structures, around project-based teams, you know, all that stuff. <clears throat> I'm sorry some of which, by the way, is completely missing a justice analysis, so it's problematic. I mean, I've, I've yeah. tried to pull some of those things into my own leadership, and it's like, okay, well, this was written for software engineers. Can we figure out what, if anything, here is, is actually applicable in a space that's trying to do this really human work? But I do think some is applicable, to your point. And I think we the, the notion that we've been talking about for a long time about not having this one heroic martyr leader in the executive director role. I mean, my God, we've been talking about that for 30 years. Mm -hmm. Oh, here we go. This is too big for one person. <laughs> You're probably retiring within the next 10 years anyway. There are other people on the staff who have done more work than you. Here's a perfect moment to start shifting who's holding this. Um, and, and what your contribution is, your legacy is, is ensuring that it happens and it's invested in and it's well-supported not in doing it by yourself. Yeah. I wonder another whether another analog is um, around some of the user-led uh, design uh, discipline where, uh, and I know, and I, my, own, my own practice in developing services, um, I sort of, I, I felt at the time, you know, 20 years ago, like it was cheating. I just went to the people served and said, what do you want? How do you want it? And they tell you very clearly and you design the program accordingly. It, it, strangely, it works. Um, but we often, you know, there's still a tradition of, of, of organizations, yeah, practitioners and professionals designing the programs and pushing them onto the people that they are, are trying to serve. And I know that's shifting uh, through user-led design and co-creation and so on. But that in itself is a sharing of power. It can go further, of course, but it's a, it's a, it's a different dynamic when the people served are holding some of that accountability. And I'm yeah. wondering if there's something in there that, that might, um, might be uh, an, a, another entry point for uh, particularly for service organizations that are accustomed to program design that may be able to use similar sorts of things, something so there's something familiar with them to help them lead them down this, what could be a scarier, intimidating path. I think that's right. I think that the, the walls between provider and provided for and staff and community have been, you know, exaggerated. <laughs> and therefore our methodologies have been, oddly distinct, right? Here's how we design programs, but here's how we do human resources. Well, they're all 
adults. <laughs> you know? right. um, what do they all want? It, you know, to your point, like why are those methodologies so different um, or are they? Um, I think that's a great question. Uh, what can we learn from, you know, wherever we are more advanced, if you will, and I'm using that word in a cultural development way, what can we learn from any of those methodologies that are inclusive, that are more distributed, um, that people of different identities are responding to? Um, what can we learn? Why are they responding to that? You know, yeah. why is our, why is that program really working in community? Whereas here we are not, you know, I mean, I, th I think you're right. I think, I think it's learning where our bright spots are, where are methods that get us out of our, our white dominant habits. And part of that, I, I, you know, would also be, I think you, you started right from the very beginning about being honest where we are, where we've come from. Uh, and and, and the, 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 the truth of the fact is if we've not been active uh, and proactive about racial justice, then however much we want to tell ourselves that we're not racists, we're actually contributing to white supremacy. If you're not actively dismantling it, then you're not actively dismantling it. That's right. And moreover, to your point, you just haven't asked black and brown people what they think of you. That's, that's why you don't know. You know, I mean, you, you think that you are not moving in this space, but your inaction is having an impact on people. You just don't talk to them. So you don't know that. Right. I just yeah. want to remind people listening uh, that the chat is open if you want to throw some questions in. Uh, I think in in many respects, I hope we haven't sort of admired the problem. As my, I said that right at the outset, that right. we have a tendency to admire the problem, and I feel we've 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 spoken at quite a high level um, in 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 many respects. But for the last sort of uh, ten minutes or so that we have here, I wonder if we can try and uh, identify some 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 initial steps or some some actions that uh, a board chair or uh, you know or, or an eager vice chair or something, you know leader on the board or or um, a uh, an executive director or or, or other C-suite type leader uh, program director for example might be able to uh, suggest to try and move this forward in their own organization. Yeah. Well, I want to say again, right here, I'm quoting these two uh, women, black women who uh, are consultants to boards, Vernetta Walker and Robin Stacia, who did an NPQ uh, webinar a couple weeks ago called Beyond the Board Statement. They really, more than I have in my practice, they really believe in assessment. And for me, that word has kind of a transactional surveys, you know, just another thing to start Data the consulting. Entry. Yeah, right. it, it feels kind of too consultancy, like, you know, but I took, I got it this time, that there has to be a mirror held up to get at what we were just saying a minute ago, which is what do people really understand about this organization? Not just what do you hope or what are your values, but what do people understand about this organization? And so I do think an activity can be some kind of listening um, that is includes stakeholders of staff, board, and key clients, stakeholders, et cetera, to, with, with, with some pointed questions about how we are perceived, how we move in the world with respect to justice. You know, we, I, think, I think what they argued is that that information disarms people in the boardroom. Mm -hmm. It gives them something to say, okay, here's the quote, you know, evidence, if you will, I, you know, that's not my, you know what I mean? We, we yeah. have some information. It's not one person's opinion. This is some information and we have someone to help us make sense of it. So that, that is an activity that I think could, certainly could be done transactionally and poorly, but it could also be done very well um, and could be very useful. And that, that I think is, you know, is, is, is a very good first step to, where we started this conversation, which was that disconnect uh, and the need to cr start to create a we around racial justice. There, there'll be, there may be disconnects around other things like parking, but there will, um, there, you know, but, to, to, but to, to create this sense of we between the board and the staff, uh, and you may in certain situations pull in other community stakeholders into that uh, idea of what, what the we is and, and, and what some of the uh, initial next steps are in terms of racial justice. I also think this is very basic, Kev, but I, I think it's really important. You know, a lot of white-led organizations 
they over-engineer conversations and formats to avoid pain, discomfort, required follow-through, <laughs> you know, like, the, you know, so it'll say on the board agenda item, finance report, racial justice update, gala. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's like, you know, right. I mean, I, I'm laughing just because of the human absurdity of it, but I think we, if we're part of systems that have that kind of habit, one of, we talked about this when you brought up process earlier, one of the things we have to start with is giving this conversation space, not 15 minutes, not 20 minutes between the finance report and the gala report, space, probably some professional support if we don't have anybody who can really facilitate this conversation. And we need to get in it for the long run because staff and people of color and other people who are further on their journey, they can smell the checking the box a hundred miles away. Mm -hmm. They can smell the, oh yeah, we had it. We had a two hour section of our board retreat all about racial justice. You know, that job's we can done. all see that right. now. That's how we got here. That's how right. we got right. here. Right. <laughs> right. So, um, so that's, that's, that's a great, there's a great way of, of, people of reminding people that we have to take this um, seriously and it's uh, uh, realistically, it's really never going to go away. Right. I mean, okay. that's what we want. It's never going to go away um, yeah. because uh, as we're saying, equity is a, is a, is a process. It's uh, there's dismantling is a power distribution and those are scary terms for, for a lot of, a lot of boards and, and leaders. Um, and, and there isn't, there isn't an easy way to simply uh, say uh, we're going to change this overnight because no one really knows what what that actually means, right? Right. And I want to lift up in a minute here, for a minute, the issue of money um, because money is something that is also all over this, right? In philanthropy, as the work of justice funders and, and uh, Edgar Villanueva and other people is teaching us, this notion of perpetuity is very much, you know, a preservationist. Um, this is ours. This is a legacy. This will be here forever. Um, these are a little bit antithetical to what we're talking about, right? There are conflicts in our founding premise, in our methodology. So, again, uh, money needs to be really honestly talked about, and it's not in most nonprofits. And on the nonprofit side, even in organizations that have progressive missions, their attachment to resources, how those resources are raised, their neutrality in working with donors and corporations and other things to, in the name of the ends, which is their movement, all of these things are going to be called into question at some point. Yeah, no, I, 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 think, I think that's right. Um, and, 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 you know, so you get a different dynamic, I think, when we, we look at the sector of, uh, and, 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 and where, how philanthropy redistributes money through um, through our economy from where that wealth is and how white that wealth is into communities of color is is in, in the role that nonprofits play in that is itself I think subject to uh, interrogation from a racial justice lens and and you know and, and what that means politically for us as a as a society but it's but. That I guess is a different, you know, completely different scale to how a board and a leadership team is going to address their, um, you know, their next quarter's approach. Yeah, but I just want to underscore that the cognitive dissonance that people are suffering under, especially people of color, but also people on the path, when we don't discuss these contradictions, I'm not asking you to solve them. I'm not asking a board chair to say, tomorrow we're gonna to stop taking money from so-and-so, which is 40% of our business model. Right, I'm right, saying right. the acknowledgement of the disconnect is part of the racial justice work. Then we can have an honest conversation about, well, shoot, what does this mean? What does it mean? What are our trade-offs? Where can we have power in this relationship that we haven't been taking? You know, all those questions open up. If you acknowledge and don't just ask people to sit in that cognitive dissonance and think they're crazy, you know? Right. And again, it's, it's, it's maintaining that sense of urgency, but not assuming things are going to change overnight because we need to give it space, time, and, and, an, and a learning approach that allows people to get it wrong, make mistakes, 
be vulnerable and 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 learn because it's just not going to be it's not going to be nice it's not going to be clean and simple it will be messy and it will be unpleasant and uncomfortable quite a lot of the time so it's getting comfortable with that discomfort yeah um i do want to say one thing about that and this is just coming from my own journey is yes it's messy yes it's it, <laughs> But there is also a higher consciousness that we can get to that actually recognizes that this mess is the work and the good work. You know, I mean, I think the more we keep, and I, I did it on this webinar, I mean, this podcast, but the more we keep saying it's messy and it's painful and it's embarrassing and it's shameful, it's like, actually, this is the work of being human. And we were avoiding yeah. a massive aspect of our failure as a collective society. And I don't want to do that anymore. So that's messy to me. I mean, can we move over to it's really messy to pretend that we are have fixed something that we have not fixed? Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. Certainly, messiness is not an excuse not to do it uh, mm -hmm. by by any means. It's it's almost an indication of how important it is to do. <laughs> right, and it's been awfully messy for a lot of people who weren't winning in the system for a long right. time. It, exactly. If if the messiness is what you're complaining about, you're sort of missing the point. Um, okay. Um, I want to thank you, Gene, for um, a, a, a very uh, hugely interesting hour. Um, this is, conversation is uh, at its um, beginning, I think, overall. Uh, there will be lots more to come uh, on Nonprofit Problem Solver in, in future episodes. Uh, I want to I thank you again for um, helping us interact with uh, some of these issues and as you said we're not going to solve them you know here in an, in an hour's conversation um, but um, I think trying to identify where people can start to address their own thinking and their own feelings and thoughts around it and their own vulnerabilities and and be honest and name where they are is an essential part to uh, trying to move this work forward and and not lose momentum because of the craziness of 2020. So I, uh, so I thank you very much for your, for your time. It was great to be here. Thanks. It helped me <laughs> say things out loud and, and keep moving, right? Keep learning. Okay. Well, thanks for everyone on the, uh, uh, on the call. Um, this will be released as a podcast in due course. And uh, please join us next week on the Nonprofit Problem Solver, Wednesdays at 1. Thank you. Thanks for joining us on the Nonprofit Problem Solver podcast. A big, big thank you to my guest, Jean Bell, who you can find at Nonprofit Quarterly, and you can follow her on Twitter and LinkedIn. This episode was produced by Glenn Munoz at PodPro Audio. You can join future conversations live by visiting nonprofitproblemsolver.com. Connect with Kev on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook. You're also invited to join a private Facebook group, Social Impact Practitioner, where every day we go deep into the practical and tactical work to accelerate your impact. Because good causes deserve better results.